When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of the Will Raggett's show on Purple Insider. I'm Will Raggett's cover the Vikings for SI.com. And I'm joined today by Paul Hodewanik of Purple Insider and WCCO. Uh, Paul, recording a little bit later in the week uh, on, on a Friday. So happy Friday, man. How's it going? Thank you. I am excited, Will. Played golf this morning, ready to now just fire off my Vikings hot takes. Couldn't be in a better mood. Excited for this. I love that. That's the energy that yes. we need on, on this what show. What we need. So the Vikings are kind of wrapping up or getting close to wrapping up this phase of the offseason. They've got uh, another week of OTAs and then they've got the mandatory mini camp. Uh, and then it's kind of just uh, a dead period until training camp, which isn't too far away. But uh, we're getting towards towards the, the dog days of summer here. But I wanted to just kind of talk generally about how we're feeling about this Vikings team um, as the 2021 2022 season. Sorry. Uh, gets closer and closer. And so I've written down a, a list, not a super long list, but a list of uh, of reasons for optimism about the Vikings. Um, if that is the the angle that you want to go and you are optimistic about it, you can also kind of turn them into reasons for pessimism if, uh, if you're not sold. So I want to go through these and kind of see what you think and, and how much you agree with each of these. And then I will give my takes as well. But uh, to start kind of the, the main story of this offseason is the new coaching staff, um, the new regime in general. Um, but Kwesi Adolfo Mensa has kind of done his part in this offseason. Now it's really a lot of focus is going to be on Kevin O'Connell and this coaching staff. So the first statement I have here is that for a reason for optimism for the 2022 Vikings is that the new coaching staff will make a big difference. Uh, and there's kind of a lot of different sub context to that, like specific coaches on both sides of the ball, but just in general, do you agree with that? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. And one I actually recently explored in one of the columns for the site, which is just first year head coaches, uh, especially rookie uh, first year head coaches and how they do in their first year. Uh, you know, normally when you hire a new head coach, you're not in a great situation. Like that's just kind of, Obviously, you're firing your coach for a reason. You're bringing on someone new. And so, like, the overall first-year record for a rookie head coach is, like, below 500. And when you go through the 91 coaches that have coached one season in their rookie year, only 25 made the playoffs in their first year. So that's, like, 28% of coaches make the playoffs in their first year. And I went through them all and all the, all the playoff teams and what characteristics they had and a lot of the teams either had a rookie head or a rookie quarterback to kind of pair with them to kind of have that cheaper contract to go with the rookie head coach. And they were able to, you know, really bring up the rest of the roster. And then other times, you know, it's Matt LaFleur with Aaron Rodgers, It's Frank Reich with Andrew Luck. And so what's interesting about the Vikings is they're not really in either camp. They aren't in the complete rebuild with a young quarterback. That's not how they're going to win. And they aren't going to win with Aaron Rodgers or Andrew Luck. Kirk Cousins isn't in their tier. So the Vikings are kind of a different team and kind of an outlier in terms of what teams traditionally look like in their first year with the new head coach, especially teams that make the playoffs. So I think that makes this question really interesting because we don't have a lot of history to base off what they could look like, what their comparable um, kind of options are. I pointed out a couple comparable options, which were like the Chargers when they hired Anthony Lynn and they had Phillip Rivers still or the um, Lions in a bad case scenario, the Lions hiring Matt Patricia with Matt Stafford. Like those are a couple kind of both on the ends of the spectrum. And so I think I'm generally optimistic about the uh, head coaching staff and what they can do just because 
Last year, we saw some blunders in terms of what Mike Zimmer was doing uh, in his fourth down decisions, in his late game decisions. The team was dreadful in two-minute scenarios. Those are things that can get bulked up and helped because of coaching. So I think I am generally optimistic about this coaching staff. But having said that, history doesn't tend to go well for first-year head coaches, one, because they can just flame out, and two, because their rosters might not be that great. So Kevin O'Connell seems like a competent head coach. They have a good roster around him. You hope that he can marginally help some areas. So I am generally optimistic that this head coaching staff can help this team more than the previous one did, but there's definitely a larger range of outcomes for that coaching staff than we had for the Mike Zimmer staff of last year. Yeah. It's, it's a really interesting point to kind of go back and look and, and how the Vikings are straddling in the middle of those examples you gave. And I think everyone can kind of agree that uh, a change needed to be made. And even I think most people would probably agree after just what we've heard and kind of seen from Kevin O'Connell so far that the Vikings seem to have made a good hire. I mean, there's only, only winning and, and losing games will kind of determine that, but just from what we've seen this offseason, I, I think it was a good hire. Um, I, I like a lot of the kind of ancillary pieces on the coaching staff that they filled out. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean you know, they're not guaranteed instant success by any means. And um, down the road, um, three, four, five years from now, if Kevin O'Connell's, still around, which I think most people would expect him to be with the Wilfs being fairly patient owners. That's, that's when we'll really judge it. And maybe there'll be major changes made. Maybe they'll bring in a different quarterback and maybe uh, at some point they will kind of go more into the rebuild, especially if this year doesn't go the way that they are expecting it to go. So um, I think I agree, I agree with the statement that the coaching staff will make a difference. There's um, kind of a wide variety of ways that they can have an impact. Um, Like you said, just, a lot of things Zimmer did last year were kind of blatantly like didn't make sense. And just um, in general, I mean, it, we've, we've talked about a lot, the culture and uh, everything around the team kind of needed a reset. And I think just from being around the team in OTAs, like the vibes are really good. People are positive. We're going to see what happens when the season actually starts. But um, I agree that, that a coaching staff is going to make a difference. I think they have kind of, and, and we'll get into this. I think they have the pieces to be a pretty good team if it all comes together. But at the same time, it's not like it doesn't look like a Super Bowl roster right now uh, when you center that around Kirk Cousins. Um, yeah. So and I would also I would also just say, like, in the Mike Zimmer era, there wasn't a ton of room to be optimistic about what the coaching staff could be. Like you very clearly kind of had it outlined of what yeah, you kind of knew what it was going to be. It was going to do even though there was had, a new offensive coordinator every year. But but like even last year, like in your wildest dreams, were you expecting the younger Kubiak to be better? Like, I don't know if there were tons of reasons for optimism to say this is going to take a massive jump from where Gary had this offense. And so I think one of the fun parts about it is you don't know it could be better, but it could be better. And that alone should be, you you can be optimistic. Like last Mm -hmm. year, if you came on and were like, you know, I'm really optimistic that this year, Mike Zimmer is going to do some different (laughs) things. And this team is going to look much different. Like that was not what was going to happen. So yes, there's always a downside to that. It could look worse. You know, it's the grass isn't always greener, um, but it could also look better. So I think fans and analysts and anyone have reason to be optimistic. There's obviously lots of history and just kind of your general Minnesota, like sports, like fandom can tell you to constrict and say, well, it can't be good. And maybe it won't be, but maybe it could be uh, because you have a new GM that's supposedly doing things differently. You have a younger head coach, you're going and flipping in a lot of directions. So I think there is reason to be optimistic. Yeah, that's what's exciting about this. I mean, even just for us covering it, like is the unknown. And um, we knew what we were going to get for the most part out of, especially the last few uh, Mike Zimmer teams. It's, there's just a lot that we don't know about what what is going to be different and, and what could go better and, and what could go worse. So um, I think specifically like breaking down the coaching staff a little bit, not coach by coach, but on like the two sides of the ball, I think, the main reason for optimism comes in the form of Kevin O'Connell as the head coach and like just being a better game manager, because that was a big issue for Mike Zimmer last year. I think you can kind of assume that, I mean, he hasn't done it before. That's, that's the thing. He's a rookie head coach, but I think you can kind of assume that he's going to have a better grasp on some of the the game management stuff and timeouts and relationships with players and just things like that. And then offensively, it's I, I think it'd be hard to argue that 
you shouldn't be optimistic about Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips running the show on the offensive side of the ball uh, compared to what the Vikings had last year with Clint Kubiak, uh, especially with kind of the the shadow of Mike Zimmer hanging over Clint Kubiak's head from a play calling perspective, which is something we saw under several different offensive coordinators. So that side specifically, I think, is easy to be optimistic about. Defensively, I mean, we'll give Mike Zimmer some credit. He was still a very good defensive mind, one of the best um, in the in the league, really, for the past decade. Um, so Ed Donatel, also a very respected defensive mind, but that could be an area where I don't know if, if it's going to get better. Um, maybe you look to the personnel side, which we'll get into, but uh, the defensive coaching, it could slip a little bit. But is that outweighed by the benefit of more creative offensive of schemes and play calling and better in-game management? That's the question. Yeah, and I think on the Donatel front, I think you like that in kind of a Sean McVay mold when Sean McVay went out and got um, Wade Phillips to kind of run his defense and kind of like let him be able to kind of take that and you're not as focused on that as a head coach. Obviously, Ed Donatel does not have the reputation that Wade Phillips has. He doesn't have that experience of running a team or running a defense per se. But I think having kind of someone who's been around the block on that side of the ball is going to be a really steadying force for Kevin O'Connell. So I think that maybe eliminates some variance in terms of this defense just being horrible because the defensive coordinator is just completely out of their skis. Like, Donatel, like it seems to be a veteran that people respect that has done really well in that Fangio system, which is kind of where defenses are trending. Like that's the profile, the type of guy that you'd want next to a Kevin O'Connell. So yeah, I mean, Mike Zimmer, I think towards the end, probably his defensive acumen was just questioned just because people were tired of Mike Zimmer, the head coach, but mm-hmm. Mike Zimmer, the defensive coordinator was a very, very good defensive coordinator. You could see it. The, the spot where you can really tell what a defense can do well is on third downs, that's when you can specifically scheme up something and continually, no matter the personnel, the Vikings were good in that area. So yeah, yeah, there aren't your hope. Your hope is that the the coaching can kind of be the same as it was on the defensive side, and that the personnel mm-hmm. elevates it from where it was last year. And I will say that there's, I mean, the defense is going to be different. I mean, they're running a different scheme yeah. right there, and and Donatel uh, has been around Vic Fangio for a long time. Um, and he actually, he was a defensive coordinator, like in the two thousands with like the Falcons and Packers, I think it's been a while, but he, he's called defensive plays before. And he said the other day that it's like, it's like riding a bike. So we'll see how that goes. But um, there, there's, there's unknowns on that side as well. So I think uh, that just in general is, is pretty exciting, but I, it sounds like we both agree at least to some extent that um, the new coaching staff is a reason for optimism. And let's move on to the next one, which is kind of the the hot button topic all the time. Uh, but we have to talk about it, which is um, here's the, here's the optimistic statement. Kevin O'Connell will get more out of Kirk Cousins. And here's the, the pessimistic statement to, to flip that is Kirk Cousins is who he is. He's been in the league for a long time and he has kind of a limited ceiling. I think you can agree with both of those, but which side do you lean towards? Yeah, I think there there's two aspects to this. Um, I, for a lot of the offseason, have just kind of been thinking like, yeah, Kevin O'Connell comes in and his play calling is f- like the offensive play calling will be freed up because it's being done by an offensive head coach. You don't have Zimmer kind of always nudging you to run the ball a little bit more or kind of whatever he was doing. So that's obviously gone, but they didn't have bad coordinators in the past and they had coordinators that fit a scheme that Kirk Cousins has run pretty well he's had some of the best years of his career in Minnesota like he's continually improved marginally every year and he's better than he was with Washington under guys like Stefanski under guys like Kubiak uh, both Kubiaks Uh, so I think I trend towards he is who he is I think we've seen this over and over again Um, now could Kevin O'Connell come in with a new scheme that Cousins really hasn't run and we see this kind of explosion out of him, I think potentially, but I I always come back to, yes, coaches are stubborn, but coaches want to win and they're going to put the offense on the field that best suits Kirk Cousins and best suits that offense. So yeah, Stefanski and Kubiak come from a certain mold, but if Cousins was clearly better running some other type of offense, they would incorporate that offense. They're not 
we've seen, especially with Stefanski, like he's not this stubborn type. Kubiak has won with different quarterbacks throughout his time. So to me, Cousins is kind of who he is. Uh, I think Kevin O'Connell can help the offense, like separate separate Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is going to be Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. Kevin O'Connell can elevate it with his play calling, with his kind of deciding when to throw, when not to throw, kind of his splits there. But as Kirk Cousins as a whole, I don't think he's going to change much. I think it's things around the margins that you can help Kirk Cousins be in a better situation, but I don't think Kirk Cousins turns into a different quarterback with Kevin O'Connell here. So I think I lead more towards he is who he is. I mean, we've seen so many different coordinators come in and say, we can be really good. And most, a lot of them have been average or to above average, but we really haven't seen anyone take him to the next level. And so I'm skeptical that that can happen, especially in just one year of another new system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I lean towards Kirk Cousins being who he is. He's been a starter in this league for a while. He's, like you said, he's worked with some very talented play callers. So what what it comes down to is how you feel about Kirk Cousins and, w- and what we've already seen, like who he is. Um, there's, there's a camp that thinks that he has not been the issue in recent years and that you can win with him and that if Kevin O'Connell kind of makes some slight adjustments, there were – kind of some puzzling times in the last few years where the Vikings like got away from play action. It seemed, uh, especially last year they're at for certain stretches of, of the season, like their play action rate wasn't as high as it was maybe in, in 2019 under Stefanski when, when Kirk was, I think that was probably his, his most efficient season uh, overall. So the little things like that, just really constantly play to play um, series by series, maximizing what cousins does well with play action um, with kind of utilizing all of the weapons on this offense, um, finding that right balance where you're not, I mean, you're, you're utilizing Dalvin cookies. He's one of the best running backs in the league, but you're not like throwing an incomplete pass on first down and then running for two yards on second and 10, which we saw too many times last year. So um, I I'm, I'm on the side that Kirk cousins is who he is, but I think it, it what it comes down to is that might be enough because he is what, what we've seen is when he's on, and he's playing well, and he's being aggressive. Like he's a very, very accurate passer. Um, this offense has the pieces for sure. This the skill position weapons um, with Justin Jefferson at the forefront to allow him to have a lot of success. Um, so if if O'Connell can kind of just make make slight adjustments, nothing dramatic. This is going to be a similar scheme to what like don't don't expect the Vikings offense to come out and look radically different because it's not going to. I mean, it's all kind of the same tree they they are they, they're calling their running scheme mid zone versus wide zone so it'll incorporate some different stuff and um maybe they'll be a little more creative but a lot of the the, the core passing concepts are going to look the same just maybe with different terminology a lot of the just core tenets of the offense are going to be similar but if o'connell can kind of call it at a high level and, and uh, make some slight adjustments to to always be maximizing what cousins can do then there's a strong argument to be made that Cousins is good enough to even win you the division and, and maybe make a playoff run, even though we haven't really seen that yet. The, the flip side is um, that maybe he just isn't good enough and maybe his ceiling is, is 10 wins or 11 wins. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I think we've gotten to this point and we're probably past this point. But for me, it's kind of like, you know, when someone commits a crime, it's innocent until proven guilty. Like, he's going to have to prove it to me at this point. Like, nothing that we've seen so far should tell us it's going to be drastically different this season. So to me, I think the camp needs to be Cousins is just going to be what Cousins is. And until we see any big, big 
changes. Like I'm going to make him prove that to me because it becomes this kind of, you know, the definition of insanity every year. If you're saying, what else can we get out of Kirk cousins? And then it's the same thing you're getting out of Kirk cousins. Like he's got to show us at this point. And what he's shown so far is still above average quarterback play. It's top 15, top 12, top 10, wherever you want to slide in that spectrum. Like that's where he is. And that is pretty solid. But if anyone is going to argue, no, this year's going to be different. Like until we see it, I'm not necessarily going to believe it because he's had, he had plenty of talent here in Minnesota. He's had talent going back to his days in Washington. And so for him to take some big jump, it's just like, you got to prove it to me at this point. Um, Because right now I'm projecting he'll slot in between the 15th and 10th best quarterback next year. And he'll win some games and he'll make some boneheaded plays where he's standing in the pocket for two seconds too long and gets strip sacked. Like we know this story. And so until like, you got to just prove it to me at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And that's what makes this season kind of a big one, I think, for Kirk Cousins and, and the future of the Vikings. Like, he knows he has to play better in general to if he's going to be able to retire as a Viking. Not necessarily because of the level of play, but because he's made it clear that he's going to maximize uh, the business side and he's going to command, at, like, a lot of money, which – is how the game works when you're a talented veteran quarterback. So um, I think he's got to really show this year that he can be into that top 10 range, maybe, or, or just consistently uh, playing at a level that, that will allow you to win a lot of games because um, the contract is such a, a big albatross and, and such a, uh, a bit like, it just takes up so much of the salary cap that I don't, I don't want to turn this, whole show into, into the classic Kirk Cousins debate, but um, I'm, I'm with you that this is a big year uh, for Kirk and that we're leaning towards he is who he is, um, but there are possibilities for, for slight improvements and, that, and O'Connell could make a difference. Um, let's go to the next one, which is a reason for optimism. The Vikings will stay healthier this year. I'll give you a stat. The Vikings had the 12th most adjusted games lost in 2021. Uh, with almost 90. That's a, a football outsider's stat. I don't exactly know what the 90 number means, but uh, the, the important thing is they, they're 12th most. So they were in um, kind of the upper half of the league in terms of being hurt by injuries. And obviously no Daniel Hunter all year, no Irv Smith all year. Um, Dalvin Cook, uh, I think at, kind of, at this point, he's kind of just, you get you pencil him into like the good outcome is he misses a few games. The bad outcome is obviously he misses more than that, but just with the position he plays and the workload that the Vikings have, have given him uh, over the past few years, he's, he's probably going to miss some time. Um, so do you agree with that, that optimistic perspective that the, the Vikings will stay healthier this year and that'll be something that helps them be better? I think uh, I would say first, no, I'm not. But the reason you would be is because the Rams were one of the, the teams that was really able to help their guys, like their kind of sports science medical department was a, a, a big thing for them and was like kind of a major sticking point of why they've been able to stay healthy in the past. And so you're hoping the Vikings can translate that here. Um, another reason is normally like if they have the 12th most, like you're just, ho- you're just expecting that to regress a little bit. Like that was more on the outlier side than not. So you'd expect that to come back a little bit. But with this team in particular, like the guys that got injured last year are guys that probably will get injured at some point this year. Like they have some injury riddled players that we just have a long sample now of they're going to be out sometime. You mentioned Dalvin cook. He's going to be out a couple games. Thielen's probably going to be out two, three games at some point. He's going to some hamstring or something's going to pop up. He's going to be out a couple games. Daniel hunters, Zadarius Smith, both those guys could miss tons and tons of time. Like, then you have old guys in Patrick Peterson, Harrison Smith in the secondary, like this team, I think generally like you they even drafted those... a rookie cornerback who has <laughs> yeah. had a ton of injury history with Andrew Booth. Yeah. So I think like in a vacuum, you'd say, well, maybe that regresses a little bit just because injury luck tends to do that. But I just think the guys that they have on the team now, you can pencil in at like the bare minimum cook's going to miss two or three games just because that's kind of how the running back position, not even cook goes, just the running back position goes. Mm-hmm. And I think you're probably going to pencil in a couple for Daniel Hunter and Zedaria Smith, just because they're getting older and they obviously have history and might just be something sore for a while. And they're going to take a couple games. Like that's just 
how this is going to operate. And so I see no reason that they aren't up there again. Um, you know, and they had guys that stayed healthy for most of the season. Cousins has never really gotten hurt. Justin Jefferson wasn't really hurt at any point during the season. Like to me, I'd project them right back in that spot again, right in the upper half of the league in terms of games that they are lost. And the only reason to really be optimistic is you're hoping some of this voodoo stuff that they had over at the Rams with their analytics-based sports science stuff comes over and they can really, really help the Vikings. But again, like we're saying, first year regime, it's just hard to transform stuff that quickly. And mm-hmm. so maybe you see the benefits of that in two, three, four years. Do you see that in year one? I'm skeptical. Yeah, no, that's fair. And I, I do think you pointed it out and it's kind of been an underrated um, move and acquisition that the Vikings did this offseason was getting Tyler Williams, the the Rams sports science director uh, to, to Minnesota and um, all the kind of data of, of them being able to keep players healthy. And I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how much of that is like these concrete, tangible things that they were doing. And it, probably some of it is. Um, I mean, Cam Akers was able to come back really fast from an Achilles injury. Um, some of it probably also was, was just good luck. Um, Cause I don't know. I, I, I don't think they were over there like casting magic spells on players like tendons and muscles to keep them healthy. So there's it, no like flip. You can switch and just turn injuries off in, in the Madden settings. But um, I think that that could help you make an interesting point that maybe that'll be more of a kind of a long-term impact that we see. Um, but I know I, I think I think you're I think you're spot on that like the, the Vikings being 12th last year doesn't really mean that they're going to just regress to and, and be better because of the specific personnel of this team that is pretty top heavy with aging veterans and um, several guys on on kind of the wrong side of 30 is, is how you refer to it in the NFL. Thielen, uh, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson. Like you just, you just are more likely to get banged up and have little ailments that are going to cause you to miss some time when you're older. Um, Cook, we've seen the, the, the kind of the point with like guys like Cook and Daniel Hunter and Zedarius Smith, where they've been injured in the past. Um, it, it's an interesting one to me because I don't know, like I, I try not to buy into players being injury prone um, because generally certain injuries, specific injuries are, separate of each other and they're kind of isolated events, but that's not always true. Right. Like if with, with the sample size, like with Dalvin cook, like switching sports, like Byron Buxton for the twins, like there's just, there's certain players who seem to, for whatever reason, made their play style or their position or just the way that their body is, is formed. Like they just seem to get hurt a little more often. And I think you can, you can give that some weight without it being unfair. Um, and then you all, sometimes you have situations like Anthony Barr, for example, where like his knee thing was kind of, um, I don't want to say like degenerative, but like it was, it was connected to multiple issues and isn't something that was just going to get fixed or get better, which might explain why he still hasn't been signed by a team yet. And it's almost June. Um, though I imagine he will end up on a team at some point, but yeah, in total, I, I think I, I agree that it would be hard to confidently say, oh, the Vikings lost a lot of time to injury last, injuries last year, that they're not going to do that again this year. Um, maybe maybe Tyler Williams and, and the sports science helps. Maybe they just get lucky. And uh, I think that's kind of the the scenario that like you can get excited about as a fan because, hey, what what if uh, Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith stay healthy all year and, and rack up like 15 sacks each? And what if Dalvin Cook plays – 15, 16 games and Thielen stays on the field. It's possible. It, it could happen. Um, but I don't think it is something that you can count on. Definitely. No. And I don't think a good team counts on that. I think you kind of have mm-hmm. to build in that. I think that's why you go out and you sign depth. And that's why you have Alexander Madison and Kenny Wong Wu. And, you know, you just draft another running back. It's so when he's at, hurt or when you need to move on from him, you got someone that can come right in. That's, you know, it's why I was a little confused why they didn't address edge more in the draft or just mm-hmm. trying to pick up other depth pieces uh, to kind of fill in because you miss one of those guys and you're really going to struggle. I think the pressure rates that we saw last year, like, or the sack numbers that we got, were not kind of lining up with pressure rates, which is much more stable for the Vikings team. So although Wanham got some sacks and although the Vikings did generate some sacks, like 
that's not a sustainable mark that we've learned. Like normally, if you can consistently create pressure, that's just going to lead to more opportunities for sacks. And instead of kind of this home run hitting where you happen to get a sack when you're pressuring like that, there's just so many different things that can mitigate that in terms of maybe you get a good rush one time, but that's a quick play pass. And then suddenly that doesn't matter. So I think that was one of the things that kind of struck me why they didn't address edge a little bit more because they have those two injury prone guys on the side, but one that tells you they either have confidence in the guys they have behind them right now, or they feel really good about them staying healthy. So I think that's the optimistic view to take on that specific kind of side of the ball. Um, but yeah, it hoping for injury luck is not the way to go. Uh, yeah. You're, you're going to get it. And it's just kind of when it happens, like the Buccaneers had it right at the end of their season, it tanked their season, like can happen to the best of teams. Uh, and so the Vikings have to be ready for that. And I think, because they've been injured in the past with some of these marquee guys, they kind of know what to do at this point. And the players behind those guys are still, a lot of them are still in place. And so they've played there. Now you're just hoping for some more internal growth to help those become better than just average backups when they come in, when someone does get hurt. Yeah. And it's kind of just the next man up mentality that players always talk about. You want to have a roster that's built to have some depth. And that was an issue for the Vikings the last couple of years. Mike Zimmer said it straight up. Like we are kind of a top heavy team. If some of these guys go down, we're going to be in trouble. And I think they've made some progress um, towards building up a little more reliable depth, but there are still certainly positions. You mentioned edge. Like if, if Daniel Hunter or, or Zedaria Smith go down you're, you're thrusting DJ Wanham or, Patrick Jones or Kenny Wilkes into a, a role that they may not be ready for or may not have the ability to fill at a high level. So um, certain positions like that, um, they have a little more depth uh, in the secondary now, but not a ton um, on offense. There's, there's some, not a whole lot. So um, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's going to be uh, there. People are going to get hurt at some point. They're not going to go through the entire season without any kind of, major significant injuries. So we will see what, if they're ready or not, when that happens. Um, let's go to uh, basically th this one is that the, the optimistic statement is that the Vikings will fix the, the woes that hurt them in terms of defense melting down late in halves and games and kind of losing close games that were winnable. Um, you, it, this is another one kind of like the injury thing where you just, project like they they gave up the most points ever in an NFL season uh, in the last two minutes of halves like surely they can't do that again is kind of the uh, general idea and this ties into what we've talked about with the coaching staff because I think a lot of that can fairly be be put on Mike Zimmer um, and then like with close games um, I think they were six and eight in one score game so it wasn't like they were terrible they 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 won a lot of one score games too but like they lost the Browns, not the Browns, the Bengals game when Dalvin Cook allegedly fumbled in overtime and they lose the, the Cardinals game on a Greg Joseph shanked field goal and um, the Lions game in, in Detroit on a last second touchdown and um, just things like that that you project like, all right, this probably isn't going to be as bad this year. So that in itself when paired with the coaching staff is a reason for optimism. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I'm actually very optimistic on this point. Um, first, because of what you said there, like there were some historic, historic bad numbers for the Vikings last year. And just like probabil probabilistic wise, like that's not going to happen again. Uh, and I'd also say like the quarter, like the thing that drives getting scored on is quarterbacks that can operate efficiently in a two minute offense and, just generally <clears throat> like good quarterbacks do that more often than other quarterbacks. And if you go through the Vikings schedule in terms of opposing quarterbacks, they're going to go against, it's not a murderer's row guys. It's Jalen hurts, Jared Goff, Jameis Winston, Justin Fields, Tua, Kyler Murray, Carson Wentz, like Zach you know, Wilson, Zach Wilson, Daniel like, Jones. Yeah. Yeah. These aren't quarterbacks that you expect to just, light them up at the ends of halves and games in kind of comeback fashion. So I think that has to play a part in it too. Obviously. Yep. You have Josh Allen on the schedule. I would be surprised if that one's close at the end of the game. Uh, you obviously have Aaron Rodgers a couple times. Uh, you have Dak Prescott still. Um, but like the quarterback schedule doesn't scare me a ton for this team. And so I think that's 
just one of the one of the reasons to be optimistic. Uh, I also think you probably have more consistent secondary, like we're not going to have a crazy blown coverage in there, which is another way that teams can make big plays down the end of the half. They're going for a big play coverage breaks down and then they can kind of capitalize on that. You think you're going to have pretty steady cornerback play if guys stay healthy. So yeah, I am much more optimistic about this than most of the things we've talked about today. I think that just generally is going to come down from historic rate and I don't think the quarterbacks that they're going to face are necessarily going to put the Vikings in a position where they're marching down on them time in and time again. Like it might happen a couple times to some of those really good quarterbacks, but not a lot of the other quarterbacks scare me from that perspective. I think those teams can definitely still beat the Vikings, but in terms of that last minute, we're going to go no huddle. We're going to push. We're going to push. We're going to push. I'm going to be perfect in these last minutes. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't see that. So I think, and I think the Vikings aggressive nature more on offense probably plays into that as well. Maybe they're not giving them teams, the ball back with two minutes as often as they were doing in the past. So I am optimistic that that does get better and that their winning percentage in close games goes up and that they give up less points in the last two minutes of games. Yeah, it would be very, very difficult for them to give up more points in the final two <laughs> yes, minutes. Would that would, yes. I don't even, I don't even know would be what the like, would be situation in which that happens is. That's like 99.9 percentile bad. But um, you, you're good. You brought up a few points that I also had written down to get to. So we will, we'll dive into those a little more in just a second, um, including the the schedule and, and specifically the quarterbacks. Um, and then also some specific areas of the, of the team, like the secondary. Um, I, I still like, I think in 2027, I'm going to just randomly think about like the Vikings playing their cornerbacks eight yards deep in the end zone at the end of that lions game. Like, yeah. it's just, it's just little things like that, that you, you'd like to think a new coaching staff isn't going to make those mistakes and there, there will be mistakes and they're going to, they're going to make bad calls and do dumb things. But um the hope is if you're trying to be optimistic that they will not be like to that magnitude because that was that was really bad and there were just a lot of random uh, really bad things that happened in the ends of those those halves and um the ends of the games that um i i think i agree as well that um it will be improved because you just you just can't be that bad again in, in some of those areas and i and i will say like they won a couple the they won yeah, a couple of games that that's true and you're right. I shouldn't, you should never say we've learned this about the Vikings. You should never say it can't get worse. That is a, that is a big Vikings lesson. So I apologize for saying that it is not, I, I would, I would like Trigger, to think yeah. that it won't get worse, but it is entirely possible. Um, but yeah, I mean, just they, they, they did win some games that like they maybe shouldn't have won. Um, they almost blew a huge lead against the Steelers 28, nothing. They had a couple walk off Greg Joseph field goals. So it wasn't like as egregious on, on, on that front. But you like to think a new coaching staff can do a little better in the one score games. And then, and then the specific issue of just the meltdowns at the ends of halves and games, I agree, will be better. Um, yeah. So let's let's move on because I, because I think a lot of that was coaching. So let's move on. And um, this is kind of a, a two part one. I want to talk a little bit about the defense specifically. Um, a reason for optimism is that the Vikings pass rush and the secondary, which go hand in hand to when you're talking about defending the most important thing in the game, which is opposing passing offenses, the pass rush and the secondary will be improved based on personnel and coaching. Do you agree? Based on personnel? Yeah. I think I you get another kind of marquee or top tier talent safety to go back with Harrison Smith. Now you can let Cam Bynum be more kind of a flex role. You can get creative with that. That's kind of a luxury the Vikings haven't had in the past. You bring back Patrick Peterson, Cameron Dantzler. You're hoping for another year of internal growth. You're hoping you can get something out of one of the two rookie cornerbacks. Obviously, you bring in Chandon Sullivan. I don't know how much of a difference that's going to make, but he's I think probably then, he's probably going to be a little better than Mackenzie Alexander. Who yeah, was or if you just towards the bottom as, of the PFF rankings last year. Yeah, if you just put him right there, like with him, like. Okay, that's not a down, you know, that's, you you didn't lose much there. Mm -hmm. And then on the defensive end side, yeah, I think, you know, Harrison Phillips, like that's a kind of one-to-one switch that you're making there. And then you had Darius Smith and uh, Daniel Hunter. I think based on personnel, it's not quite, I I don't think it's an argument that they're in a better spot. 
just all comes down to, and we'll really get a sense for the first time in like five years, how much Mike Zimmer meant to a defense and how much this can be replicated by another defensive coach in a different defensive scheme. So I think I'm very optimistic on the personnel, on the coaching. That's where it starts to be questionable. Um, mm-hmm. But I think net net, I, I, I would guess that they can be slightly better, but it, it really, it's, it's probably the, maybe the biggest storyline for me is the defense. I know everyone's focused on O'Connell and the offense, but what the defense looks like without Mike Zimmer is a really, really interesting situation that I'm really intrigued by because defense is hard to know what's coaching, what's happening. Is this the Mm -hmm. offense being bad? Is this the defense being good? And maybe that's just my eye. Like I understand offense better than I understand defense. So from my perspective, I like couldn't know, like, unless I'm listening to Deontay Lee or someone else that's really good at breaking down defensive stuff, like what Mike Zimmer meant to this team. So yeah, I'm optimistic. The personnel's better. I'm not optimistic that the coaching's better. Um, just I'm giving, I'm giving a lot of deference to Mike Zimmer here, mm-hmm. uh, and what he can be, but I'm going to be really intrigued and I won't be like shocked if this defense is better. And this this scheme rejuvenates some guys in this defense that have just always played the same role in Mike Zimmer, like Mike Zimmer's defense. I think maybe this can be like a really nice thing for Eric Hendricks or Daniel Hunter who have been in one system for a long time. So I'm mm-hmm. generally optimistic about the defense, but much more on the personnel side than the coaching side. Yeah, that, no, and that's totally fair. And I think it's, um, I think it's fair and, and, and earned to give some respect to Mike Zimmer for what he did. We talked about it earlier, like, just consistently, regardless of personnel, his third down defenses, his red zone defenses were always good. So you know that that, that was him to some extent, his, his ability to kind of cook up different pressure packages and disguise looks and, and things like that. And um, a shameless plug, I talked to Arif on last week's episode of the Will Ragged Show, and we, we talked about uh, kind of how uh, various players' roles might be different in this new 3-4 uh, hybrid uh, defensive scheme with Ed Donatel. So go listen to that if you haven't, but that, I mean, that's just a, a topic in general that I like you am very intrigued about, like, what is this going to look like and, and whose, um, whose roles are going to change and, and what is the impact of that? Like, are the linebackers going to play differently and have different assignments? How are the interior versus the, um, edge guys going to factor into the run and into the pass rush and all these things that'll be really kind of fun to, once we actually get some, some game tape to look at um, to kind of see how that's going and um, see uh, if, if it makes a difference in, in a good way or, or potentially in a bad way. So uh, I, I think I, I like, I like your assessment of um, the kind of personnel versus the coaching. I think the personnel like up, up front, I mean, Zedaria Smith and Daniel Hunter, if they stay healthy, I think is probably the best edge duo the Vikings have had in, in a long time. And they, they had some good ones with, with, um, Hunter and Everson Griffin. Um, but I think Zadarius Smith, if he is like what we saw in, in 2019 has a higher ceiling than, than Griffin ever did. I don't know if that's considered a hot take or not, but, um, I, I think they could be really good there. Um, on the interior, it's just kind of, they, they still don't have a lot of pass rush juice there. Um, Dalvin Tomlinson said the other day that he wants to be more involved in the pass rush. And, uh, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll, believe that when I see it, um, Michael Pierce, I think losing Michael Pierce is kind of an underrated loss. Um, just because when he was healthy and that was the big issue is he only played in like eight games in two seasons, but when he was out there, he had some kind of impressive pass rushing juice from a, from a big man. I don't know if Harrison Phillips really has that element to his game. So, um, but it's, it's outweighed for sure by like going from, DJ Wanham and Kenny Willickis and whoever to Daniel Hunter and Zedaria Smith at the edge secondary wise. I'm not as confident. Um, maybe it'll be better. I just don't know if it's still going to be particularly good because you're relying a lot on, on at least one rookie in Lewis scene and, and potentially an, uh, another rookie corner or two in the mix. Uh, that Shannon Sullivan at the slot is just like, okay, sure. Um, I guess the, I guess the argument for optimistically is that like they don't they no longer employ Bashad Breland and he's not going to be on the field at all. But and and maybe Cam Dantzler takes some some strides in in year three with uh, his shiny new single digit number. But Patrick Peterson isn't getting any younger. Um, 
Harrison Smith isn't getting any younger. So I'm more confident in the pass rush improving than I am in the secondary. And then we could get into a whole debate about which one means more and is more impactful. But um, yes. I, I, I think I a, that... I have a pr- Go ahead. No, I just have a pressing question. Sorry, you mentioned the numbers. Like, I'm going to get very messed up by the numbers. Yeah. Well, like, I am going to... Like, I don't, <laughs> you've been out at OTAs. I don't know if it's confused you. But just seeing the screenshots, like, game days, practices, I'm going to have no idea who's running around <laughs> at any point. I am like... Like I OTAs, especially there's so many guys on the field. I have no idea how I would be able to tell who is who right now with everyone switching numbers. The nice thing is that Vikings PR gives us the paper rosters when we are out there. Yeah. Um, so you can kind of go through and I've needed to do that at these, these OTAs that we've been able to go to because you look up and it's like, Oh, there's 33. Oh wait, that's not Dalvin cook. That's Brian Asamoa. And they kind of have like the same build. So that one really threw me for a loop. That was actually at rookie minicamp oh, when Asamoah was out there. And I was like, is that Dalvin? Why is Dalvin cook at rookie? <laughs> and then it, I mean, it took me a second to, yeah. to realize the big ones I think are cook is four, Alexander Madison is two, which those are both going to take a little bit. Yeah. Dantzler is three. Um, I think those are like the main, Oh, Cam Bynum is 24 now. Okay. Not 43, which is huge, I think, because that's a much better safety number. 43 is, is like a great safety number, like yeah. practice, like special teams linebacker. Um, yes. 24 is a really good safety number. So those are the big ones. I mean, Lewis Seen is new, but he's six. Um, okay. Jordan Barry is 16 now, which looks weird on a, sure, punter, a punter. But yep. anyways, I need a punter it, like like a wide receiver. Now I need like an 81 out of a punter. That would be fantastic. They have that in college a lot where the punters wear like 98 and it's it's yeah. awesome. Um, anyways, let it, let's go. We, I got two more left here that we'll hit right. fairly quickly. Um, the next one is, is similar, just kind of, a um, personnel coaching question for one specific area. And that is the offensive line will be better in 2022. And that is a reason for optimism, Paul. Yes or no. Yes. I'm actually kind of bullish on the offensive line. I don't like okay. saying that the Minnesota um, Vikings offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really like the strategy that they took kind of the Buffalo Bills strategy of throwing mm-hmm. a lot of bodies at one or two problems and just kind of having no shame. Like, Oh, okay. Chris Reed didn't work. All right. Jesse Davis, you want to go in there? Oh, uh, you didn't work. Wyatt Davis, you want to go in there? Ah, that didn't work. Like let's throw our new draft pick out there. Like I like that strategy kind of just getting a lot of cheap guys, hoping, hoping one can hit instead of, just signing one mid tier free agent and hoping that works because like all the offensive linemen that are generally good are either signed or you're going to have to spend more money than the Vikings had to get them. So I think it was kind of the best, like if we're just comparing it to last year's offensive line, it has to be better. Garrett Brad, Garrett Bradbury is in a contract year. Like that has like, that has to motivate him to be better than he has been. And maybe he won't be, maybe it's just who he is, but if we're going to, create the circumstance in which Garrett Bradbury has a better year. This is kind of what you do. You still have your bookend tackles. Like I'm optimistic that the offensive line can be better. And I like that what their strategy was addressing it. It wasn't just going and getting Josh Klein or it wasn't just saying, Oh yeah, let's our third round rookie is just going to go in there and we're going to feel good about that. Like they, or like, we're not going to sign like Dakota Dozier again. Like mm-hmm. they've seemed to take a different approach with it that I think is the right one for the Vikings situation right now. Uh, just throwing a lot of cheap bodies at it and just saying, whichever one works, we're going to roll with. And we don't have a lot of assets tied up in any of them. So we don't have like this pressure to play a certain one. Maybe you have pressure to play Ed Ingram, but he's an, he's a rookie. So I don't think it's necessarily there this first year. So yeah, I think the offensive line is actually in a good spot uh and no one please clip that please no one (laughs) that please don't like please yeah don't old takes exposed don't don't just please this was never said but i i think i agree um i am not nearly as op like gung-ho or bullish was the word you used about the offensive line my my thing is just like yeah i think it would be hard for them to be worse because like it was less than a year ago that they were rotating Dakota, Dakota Dozier and Ole Udo as the right guard. And just purely based on the numbers game of the amount of people they brought in, 
they're probably going to be better at right guard. And I, th- I think that competition is it, you'd, you'd hope is going to kind of end up with somebody emerging as a, a competent, at least perhaps even a quality right guard. Um, I think my, the favorite, my, my pick for the favorite for that is Chris Reed, um, just based on what he did with the Colts last year. Uh, Jesse Davis got like a slightly bigger contract, so you could make that argument as well. But he's played a lot of tackle recently, and he's moved around, and um, the results have been have been pretty mixed. Uh, maybe Ed Ingram deserves to be the favorite as well, just draft pedigree wise, and and this um, this new front office kind of investing a lot of of draft capital into getting him. So one of those three, I mean, Wyatt Davis has just been completely written off, but maybe you get something out of him. You never know. Yep. He also moved, I believe. Jersey number news from 51 to 52, which was his college. Really no- yeah. That's the only his college number. Know. And Mason Cole wore that last year. Yeah. I get into really into the, the yeah. weeds of this. I was writing about all the, the Jersey changes of, a few weeks ago, but anyways, that the right guard thing, I think I'm optimistic about the reason I'm not optimistic or at least not that optimistic about the Vikings offensive line being better is it's still a, you're only as good as your weak link unit and more so than, I think really any other kind of position group or unit um, on the football field. And to me, I, I don't know if there's any reason to expect Garrett Bradbury to be better. He's been um, either last or dead last in PFF pass blocking grade among qualified centers um, in all three of his years. I, I, I don't know if there's any flip you can switch there with a new offensive line coach and new coaches in general. And um I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you pull for Bradbury because he was a very like he had a very interesting and, and self-aware uh, press conference last year after he essentially got benched when he returned from the COVID list. But it's just hard for me to kind of project that, which then you're still talking about having a, a major weak link in the middle of the offensive line with with interior pressure uh, being pushed back into Kirk Cousins, which is something we've seen can affect him pretty significantly. Uh, maybe having a better right guard next to him makes a difference. I, I, I'm just, that's an area where I'm not particularly optimistic. And then I, I look and I go, okay, well, there's no other option really. Like they, they haven't addressed that position. They, uh, maybe you move a, a guard to center. Like you try Wyatt Davis there, or yeah. you try Chris Reed there. Maybe if he doesn't win the right guard job, but that's asking a lot. Um, Cause none of those guys have really played a lot of center and, um, it's not as simple as you just, Hey, line up here and, and snap the ball. Like you got to call out all the protections and slide the different slide, the offensive line in certain ways, based on the look, the defensive front is showing you. And then you, you got to snap it and you got to immediately believe be blocking and doing all these different kinds of block reach blocks and pass protection, anchoring against big nose sack. Like it's a hard position to play in some fairness to Garrett Bradbury, although he was a first round pick who is supposed to do that hard position at a high level. But um, that's kind of my thing with not being super optimistic is I just, I don't see how they're going to get really any better at center. And that's still going to be an issue. And then we could talk about like Christian Derrissaw's improvement is not necessarily guaranteed to be linear. And as Cleveland still has, ha- hasn't ranked particularly well in PFF pass blocking. So um, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that it'll be better. I'm just not, overly optimistic that it'll be good all of a sudden. Yeah. I'm also with the Bradbury thing. I hear you like they don't really have a better option. Um, I also trust like the new regime isn't going to have the motivation to prove people right. That they picked a good first round center. Like they're, mm-hmm. I don't feel like if Bradbury's bad, I don't feel like they're just gonna like for pride's sake, try to hold on and hope that turns into a positive asset. And so they do still have a little bit of cap space to work with. They, I, I, yeah, I don't love moving a guy positionally, but I have faith that if Bradbury isn't good, this isn't a regime that's just going to keep him there or keep a Drusamia out there, like for their pride's sake, for the resources that they've spent in him. Like they didn't grab, they didn't, this regime didn't draft Garrett Bradbury. They didn't pick up his fifth year option. Like they don't have long term mm-hmm. commitments to him. So if he's bad, this regime isn't tied to him like the previous one was, which should make it easier to move off of him if they see a better option because they're, you know, they don't really have a dog in the fight of proving that Bradbury's good. Like Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer did. That's fair. That is fair. Like I can definitely see situations in which the last couple of years, like they, the Zimmer Spielman regime was still trying to prove like Bradbury was a good pick. I promise he's going to get better. And maybe, 
maybe it could happen this year. They've they've said publicly that they have faith in him and that they think maybe some slight changes in, in scheme and stuff can help him, but we'll see. Hey, JC Treader, still a free agent. I don't think the Vikings are going to sign him since, they, since they don't have any cap space. I know, oh, I know. Oh. It's we're it, this. It's late May. We got we got to talk about stuff like that. I I get it from from fans clamoring over. No, I get it. Want, I get wanting it. a center, but JC Treader has become like folklore in. I know, like, <laughs> like the mythical JC who yeah. who might I I have learned more recently who might have some like concerning injury issues. Even though he's he's played like he hasn't missed games. He was always on the injury report for the Browns last year and yeah. is is not super young. So, all right, let's the, the last one I have written down here is one that um, you as a elite Pro Bowl caliber podcaster already sure. uh, touched on without even knowing that I had it written down. And that was um, the schedule is favorable and specifically the quarter opposing quarterback schedule. Well, there, there's two aspects to it. One is they, they have nine home games this year and six true road games. Yeah. Um, because our seven true road games. Yeah. Uh, and then one, um, the basically a neutral site game in London that like based on the number of British and UK Vikings fans that follow me on Twitter, I think there might be, I think that might be a purple crowd. I don't know if yeah. that's just completely anecdotal, but I feel like I have a, a lot of, um, great, uh, UK, uh, Vikings fans who interact with me on Twitter a lot. So shout out to all of that. But so that, that specific aspect, like with the 17 games, it just flips each year, whether you have eight or nine home games and us bank stadium is a pretty significant home field advantage. Um, and then the other aspect of it is the quarterbacks, which we already touched on where they, it's basically like Josh Allen and Rogers twice are the only like foolproof tier one quarterbacks that they face, depending on how you feel about Dak Prescott and Kyler Murray and like Matt Ryan. I don't, I don't think maybe, maybe Cowboys fans would argue that Prescott's tier one, but I think all those guys are kind of in that secondary tier. And then it's a lot of like mid or bad quarterbacks um, who maybe could like Zach Wilson's of the world could maybe be better in year two. Um, But you get golf twice, you get fields twice. Who's another one, like could be better in year two, but we need to see it. Uh, And then, I mean, you touched on him earlier, Jalen hurts, uh, Daniel Jones, Jameis Winston, to uh, I don't. I'm probably forgetting somebody there, but you get the you get the general idea that it's uh, pretty advantageous. So, do you agree that the schedule being favorable is a reason to be optimistic this year? I do. Yeah, I mean, just comparing it to last year, um, based on like Sharp Football Analytics's um, way they look at it with projected win totals entering last year, they had the 17th ranked schedule 17th easiest I guess 15th hardest however you want to look at that um now they have the 10th easiest so they've moved up a little bit last year Mm -hmm. in terms of rest advantage disadvantage they ranked 28th in rest advantage last year so they were put in many more disadvantage disadvantageous spots in terms of rest now they're right middle of the pack they aren't losing any more games than they're gaining so that's another reason to be optimistic they're one of seven teams that have three home games in a row. And it's an important stretch. It's that Dallas yeah. game. It's that new England game. And it's the New York jets game week 11 through 13. That's, a I big, think that, and I think they play five of six at home in, yeah, in that stretch. If stretch. You expand it so, out. Yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons just in terms of how you look, analyze the schedule kind of on a deeper level, why you'd say, yeah, this is better for the Vikings. And then, yeah, they don't have those really scary quarterbacks outside of Josh Allen and Aaron Rodgers, And however you feel about Dak Prescott, although the Cowboys have shown they can beat the Vikings with any quarterback. So I'm going to be scared <laughs> of Dak Prescott for a while. Um, and then, yeah. Uh, are you, rush. Yeah. And then you're looking at like what teams could make like that Bengals leap or that Cardinals leap that we saw last mm-hmm. year, that could be harder than we might anticipate. Like maybe you're looking at the Eagles or the dolphins maybe as one of those team, one of those two teams that, you look back at the end of the season and you say, wow, that was actually a hard game for the Vikings based on how they did all year. But like neither of those teams like really feel like they're going to make some massive jump, maybe the Eagles, but the dolphins, I don't know. So to me, a lot of things line up for the schedule to look more advantageous for the Vikings. Now, does that mean they go from eight wins to 11 wins? Probably not. But does that mean it makes, they have an easier road to 10? Yeah, I do. I think that, I think that's, kind of where you have to be looking as a Vikings fan. So yeah, I'm optimistic by the schedule. They, I mean, the Packers have one of the worst rest advantage schedules. They're like mm. very much last that. So that helps you. A division opponent has a harder schedule than you and a worse advantage in terms of rest. So yeah, I think 
there can be reasons that you look at the schedule and you feel optimistic. But again, I don't think it's optimistic that, oh, an average schedule, maybe they win nine games. This schedule, no, now they could win 11 or 12. I think it's, if you thought they could win nine, maybe the schedule convinces you they can win 10. That's that's yeah. where I'm at. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's it doesn't matter as much as like coaching and personnel and how you play, but it can't hurt to have some of these favorable elements. So um, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some big like swing games. I think early on in the season, I wrote down a couple of them, like week two at Philly Monday night, which happens to be my birthday, by the way, I'm excited about that. Um, That'll be a big one where you like are testing your, uh, your ability very early against um, potential NFC wildcard foe. I mean, obviously week one is going to be the huge test against the Packers at home, but uh, week four in London against the saints, Week six going to Miami um, before the bye. We coming out of the bye with the Cardinals at home, and then that kind of Bills, Cowboys, Patriots stretch that you get there as well. So uh, I think overall the schedule is favorable, but it's not like it's the NFL. They they have to play seventeen NFL teams. They're going to have to play well uh, if they want to win ten or eleven or even more games. But yeah, that that wraps up my list, Paul. This was fun. Uh, I think we're both kind of in agreement on a lot of, on a lot of fronts. Uh, but I, this was a, a really good breakdown and uh, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah. Hopefully this Friday, hopefully we left with some optimism. Um, we got, there's a little downturn in the middle there, but I think we yeah. started high, we ended high. So I think that's, that's how you want it. That's how you want it. Yeah. That's a good way to be in the off season. And uh, we'll do this again uh, in a couple of weeks or not exactly Whenever. sure hundred yeah. percent on the schedule, At but some point. definitely going to have you on a lot. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Will.